everybody's doing good today. Here we are again, another video sermon. Still kind of getting used to this. Uh, not really used to preaching into a camera uh, without other people being around. It's kind of weird. It's easier for me to preach uh, in, a, in a room full of 500 people than it is uh, to a camera that's, that's staring at me. Uh, but we're doing the best we can. Uh, praise the Lord for technology. Uh, we can do a lot of cool stuff now that we used to uh, could not do. Uh, it's pretty amazing that no matter where you may be in the world, uh, we can all be uh, having church together. So we may not be uh, gathered here in God's house altogether, but we can all grow in the Lord and study the Lord's Word together, and that's what we're going to be doing. I want to tell you about a couple of things before we get started. One is uh, I've been doing a new thing called One Minute Message, and it's just what, what it says. Uh, it's a little one-minute mini-sermon. Uh, I've been posting those on Facebook. I've been posting them on the website. Uh, if you are on Facebook, you can check them out on there. If not, you can go to the website uh, at enterprisebaptist.church slash one, the number one, minute message, and that'll take you right to the page where all the ones that are currently there are. There's only a couple right now. Lord willing, there's going to be a lot more of those uh, to come. Also, I want to let you know, too, uh, since we're going to be in the book of Judges tonight, I want to let you know that all of our past sermons on Judges are on the website as well. Now, if you are just joining us for the first time uh, and you, you, you don't really know where we are, just kind of jumping into the story, you may be a little lost. Uh, we are in the story of Samson right now, but we've been going through the whole book of Judges for the last few months. If you want to catch up to where we are now, which is going to be chapter 15, uh, you can find all of those old messages at enterprisebaptist.church slash judges. Uh, you'll see a list of all the ones up to this point, and uh, Lord willing, we'll be finishing Judges up in a few months. And so if you want to catch up to where we are now and kind of get a little background of some of the things we talked about, I'll kind of fill you in on some of those things as we go. Uh, but I can't go back and recap everything. But if you do want to get caught up, you can check those out there. Now, there's lots of sermons on the website that we've recorded and posted over the last five years. Uh, there's about 240 hours worth of sermons uh, on various different topics. Most of them are, are, are uh, uh, sermons that are through a whole book. They're series through a whole book from start to finish. So if you want to look on there and see if there's a book you want to check out, uh, maybe something that we've preached through, uh, and you can click on those, and there will be a list of all of them there, and you can listen to them if you'd like to do that. So those are just a few resources that I wanted to let you know about uh, before we get started. So we are going to be in Judges tonight, in Judges 15. We're continuing on the story of Samson. Now, the story of Samson, he may be the most uh, famous judge. He may be the one that, that most people are familiar with because of his story. Uh, Gideon would rank up there, too. Probably Gideon and Samson are the two most well-known judges. And we've been in Samson's story for a couple of weeks. Uh, we've been taking them kind of a whole chapter at a time. I don't really like to, to, to use this many verses like we're going to use tonight, but... With Samson's story, each chapter that we have of it uh, kind of tells a different element of his life. And so we really need to have the whole picture of what's going on to see the story unfold. Now, uh, in the last couple of weeks, we were introduced to, to Samson and his birth. Then we were introduced to him last week and his wife as he was seeking a wife. And then this week, we're going to see some conflict that comes from uh, his marriage to his Philistine wife. And so that's what we're going to be talking about when we pick up here in just a second in Judges 15. So I'll read through the verses. We're going to read the whole chapter, verses 1 through 20. Uh, when I get through, I'll pray, and then we'll dig into the Word and see if there's something we can learn uh, from Samson's story. 
Later on during the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat as a gift and visited his wife. I want to go to my wife in her room, he said, but her father would not let him enter. I was sure you hated her, her father said, so I gave her to one of the men who accompanied you. Isn't her younger sister more beautiful than she is? Why not take her instead? Samson said to them, This time I won't be responsible when I harm the Philistines. So he went out and caught 300 foxes. He took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail, and put a torch between each pair of tails. Then he ignited the torches and released the foxes into the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the piles of grain and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and olive groves. Then the Philistines asked, Who did this? They were told it was Samson, the Timnite's son-in-law, because he has taken Samson's wife and given her to another man. So the Philistines went to her and her father and burned them to death. Then Samson told them, Because you did this, I swear that I won't rest until I've taken vengeance on you. He tore them limb from limb with a great slaughter and went down and stayed in the cave at the rock of Edom. The Philistines went up, camped in Judah, and raided Lehi. So the men of Judah said, Why have you attacked us? They replied, We have come to arrest Samson and pay him back for what he did to us. Then three thousand men of Judah went to the cave at the rock of Edom, and they asked Samson, Don't you realize that the Philistines rule over us? What have you done to us? I have done to them what they did to me, he answered. They said to him, We've come to arrest you and hand you over to the Philistines. Then Samson told them, Swear to me that you yourselves won't kill me. No, they said, we won't kill you, but we will tie you up securely and hand you over to them. So they tied him up with two new ropes and led him away from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came to meet him, shouting. The Spirit of the Lord took control of him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like burnt flax, and his bonds fell off his wrists. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand, took it, and killed 1,000 men with it. Then Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, I have piled him in a heap. With the jawbone of a donkey, I have killed 1,000 men. When he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone and named the place Ramath Lehi. He became very thirsty and called out to the Lord, You have accomplished this great victory through your servant. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? So God split a hollow place in the ground at Lehi, and water came out of it. After Samson drank, his strength returned, and he revived. That is why he named it Enhokor, which is in Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel twenty years in the days of the Philistines. Let's pray. God, we come to you and we thank you for these good words. And God, I pray that you just would, would speak through me as I try to preach and teach through this story of Samson. I pray that you would help us to get something good from it. I pray that you would help us to uh, see maybe areas of our life that there's weakness in us, uh, areas in our life where we're not trusting you as much, dear Lord, areas in our life where maybe we allow our attitude and our anger to get the best of us. So God, I pray that you help us to learn from Samson and from his story. And I pray that you just hide me behind the cross as I preach and teach. And I pray that you just would be glorified in your word today. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Now, to understand what we just read, you kind of have to know a little background about what happened 
in the chapter before. Now, in the chapter before, uh, Samson decided he wanted this Philistine woman as his wife. Now, this was a problem. Uh, the Israelites were not supposed to be intermarrying uh, with the other people of the land because God says, look, if you intermarry with these other people that are in the land, then you're going to do the things they do, which were bad, evil things. They worshipped idols. They worshipped false gods. They did things that were gross and detestable to the Lord. Now, God had told the Israelites when they went into the land, they were to work on driving them out and destroying them. And that's what they should have done. They should have continued and driven all of them out and destroyed them. But they didn't. And so, here are the Israelites in the promised land, but so are the original inhabitants, people who are evil people. Now, God doesn't want his people mingling with these other people because he knows that they will easily be uh, drawn away from him. So, here we have a problem because Samson, uh, Samson uh, who is an Israelite, wants to marry this Philistine girl. Now, even though he wasn't supposed to be doing that, God was going to use this marriage as an occasion against the Philistines, it said in the chapter we read last week. Uh, God was looking for a way to deliver his people from the Philistines, and he was going to use Samson to do it. Now, even though Samson appears to have many different character flaws uh, and some problems here, God was still using him uh, nonetheless. Uh, and that's a reassuring thing, because God can do a lot with a little. Now, we probably have a lot of flaws, too. Now, that's not to say that, well, God still used Samson, so I'm going to do what I want to do and not care. No, that's not really a good attitude to have. We need to learn from Samson. Even though he did things that, uh, that he shouldn't have done and God used him, uh, doesn't mean that we just need to say, well, we're going to do what we want to do and let God use us. It's not quite that simple. Uh, stories like we see of some of these judges are, are rare things. The, uh, a lot of the events we see in the Bible are things that don't happen regularly. So God is not uh, bringing his spirit upon judges of the land nowadays. Now we have a perfect judge in Jesus Christ, and everything points to him. And so all these stories that we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament, everything is pointing to Jesus Christ. So when we want to know how to live, we listen to Jesus and what he taught, and more importantly, we look at his example and how he lived, not the example of how Samson lived. Now, Samson married this Philistine woman, uh, and leading up to the marriage, uh, he had, he had uh, given this riddle to some of the other Philistines that were there. It was 30 Philistine men. They had made a bet that uh, if, if they couldn't get the riddle, they had to bring Samson 30, 30 pairs of clothes, uh, and, if, and, if, and if they did get the riddle, then Samson had to give them 30 pairs of clothes. Well, uh, eventually they, uh, they, they worked around and, and, and weakened his wife up and said, look, you've got to find the answer to this riddle because if you don't, we're going to kill you and your father. We're going to burn the house down. And that's the same thing we saw in the passage tonight. They said the same thing last week. So his wife was afraid. Uh, she finally nagged him enough that he gave her the answer to the riddle. She gave the answer to the Philistines, uh, and when he found out that they knew the answer, he knew exactly how they had gotten it. As a result, to pay off the, the bet that they had made, he goes and finds 30 other Philistines, kills them, takes their clothes, brings the, the clothes back to the 30 that he had made the bet with. And so here we see this tension rises. The tension starts because there's an Israelite and a Philistine, but this was all part of God's plan in a way to deliver Israel from the Philistines. So that's how the plan starts, but then this, this feud breaks out uh, toward the end between Samson and these men that he had made the bet with, and now you see that the tension is built because he's killed some of their people. Now, pick up where we start today uh, in Judges 15. 
at the beginning of this passage, we saw uh, that Samson was going back to see his wife. Only when he gets there, uh, he is not happy because he finds out that his father-in-law has given his wife to someone else. And so he is, he is, he is pretty irate about this. And so he says, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this out on the Philistines. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show them who's boss. I'm paraphrasing there, but uh, you heard what we read in, in the passage. And he said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to take this out on the Philistines. So he comes up with this plan, this pretty crazy plan. He catches 300 foxes, and the text says that he puts them tail to tail and puts a torch uh, in between each of them. Now, I don't know how he connected them. I don't know if he tied their tails together. I don't know if somehow he, he put a rope around the torches on their tails. In some way, shape, or form, Samson attached these torches to these 300 foxes that were in pairs. And so there were 150 pairs of foxes with torches on their tails. And Samson lets them go into the land of the Philistines, in particular, into the land where all their grain was. And he destroyed pretty much everything. It says that he destroyed their, their, their grain fields, their stockpiles of grain, their vineyards, their olive groves. So this was a big thing. This would have had major, uh, a major impact on the Philistine economy. This was a lot of food that was destroyed, and Samson was behind it. So you can imagine that when the Philistines found out, they were not happy. As they began to inquire about what took place, and they found out it was Samson, and what had caused him to, to, to do these things that his father-in-law had given his wife to another man, well, they go and they, they take it out on, on Samson's father-in-law and his wife. They burn them up. They burn the house down. They kill them. That's the same thing that they had, they had told her they wanted to do last week over that, over that riddle. And now in this passage here, uh, they're, they're saying, okay, we're going to do it. And they did. And they followed through with it, with it and they killed uh, Samson's wife and father-in-law. Well, here we go, back and forth. Samson kills their people. Uh, Samson destroys their field. They come back. There's this, there's this back and forth between them. Uh, and so we see this tension rising uh, between Samson and between the Philistines. So when Samson finds out what happened to his wife and his father-in-law, he's irate. And so he tears them limb from limb. Now, Samson was a pretty strong guy. Uh, obviously, his strength came from the Lord. Uh, we see him do some uh, miraculous feats of strength. Uh, and uh, the story we saw last week in the previous chapter, Samson uh, was able to, to kill a lion with his bare hand and rip him limb from limb. And here we see this week that Samson does the same thing with this group of Philistines. So Samson is an angry guy. Now, I don't know if this is an anger that the Lord has put in him or if this is just a natural anger that Samson has that God is going to use. Now, a lot of these things that we see Samson do don't seem like very good things. Uh, Samson seems kind of like an ungodly man, at least to me he does. Uh, he doesn't seem like a terribly godly guy, which is, which is uh, kind of the opposite of what it should be, because he was a Nazarite. That is, he was one who was set aside from birth uh, by his parents to be a, a man of God. Now, part of being a Nazarite is he couldn't touch a dead body, he couldn't drink any wine, and he couldn't cut his hair. Now, we don't know too much about the wine and the dead bodies. We don't talk too much about that in the story of Samson. But the real key in the story of Samson seems to be his hair. Now, we're going to see next week that, that hair is going to be cut. Now, even though he was a Nazarite, and these are the things that he should have been doing, uh, well, he should have been a godly man and probably should have been uh, a little more godly in a lot of areas of his life. 
but it appears as though Samson was kind of a rough guy. And so as he's having this feud between the Philistines uh, and things begin to escalate, boy, he's ripping them apart and uh, in the process, I might add, touching dead bodies, uh, which is also part of the Nazarite vow. Uh, and so he doesn't take his vow and his service to the Lord very seriously. But even still, he's the vessel that God has chosen to use to deliver the people from the Philistines. Maybe it's because he was rough and tough. Maybe that's why he used him. Maybe God said, look, I need somebody uh, with a little bit of an attitude, somebody that's not afraid. Not that that makes his actions justifiable to us, but in this instance, God used him in that way. Now, we need to be careful because... Uh, when we see God do this uh, in the Old Testament, we must remember that everything that God does in the Old Testament and New Testament points us to Jesus Christ. So even though Samson may have failed uh, in the way that he lived, Jesus didn't. We follow Jesus' example, not Samson's. All right, going on a little further in the story, once Samson killed these Philistines, ripped them limb from limb, he goes to Edom to hide at this, at this place of the rock. Now, when the other Israelites hear about what's taking place, they are horrified. They go to him and say, Samson, how could you do this? It was 3,000 of them. Now, I don't know if 3,000 went because they wanted to make a point. I don't know if 3,000 went because they knew of Samson's strength and they were afraid of what he might do and they thought it would take that many. I'm not sure why such a large crowd went, but 3,000 Israelites went to Samson to make their case and say, Samson, what have you done? What have you done to us? Don't you know that the Philistines rule over us? Now, at this time, even though Samson was a judge of the land, the Philistines still ruled over them. Now, Samson's judgeship is a little different than the rest of the judges before this in the book of Judges. The rest of the judges were appointed as judge, and in a relatively short time after that, uh, they were able to deliver Israel from their enemies. They were able to drive the enemies out or destroy them uh, in whatever way it was. Uh, once the judge came onto the scene, God used them to deliver the people. And then the text would say, and he judged Israel for 20 years, and he judged Israel for 40 years, and the land of Israel was at peace for 20 years, something like that. And so when the judges came, that led to deliverance and then to peace. But in Samson's story... It appears as though his judgeship took place in the middle of the 40 years that the Philistines oppressed him. Because it says he was a judge for 20 years in the text, and so he must have been a judge in that last half of the 20 years of the Philistine. Uh, now, spoiler alert here, if you don't want to hear this, the end of the story, until till we get to it, uh, skip for about 15 seconds. Uh, Samson eventually does kill the Philistines, but he also loses his own life in the process. So his judgeship ends at that moment. So in that way, uh, Samson's judgeship is a little different uh, than the rest of them. Now, let's read a little further. As these people uh, gathered around him, the Israelites, to, to say, what have you done? Uh, he tells them what he's done. He says, look, I've done to them what they did to me. And the, and the Israelites said, look, we got to give you over to them because, I mean, we can't, we can't be harboring a fugitive because of what you've done. They might take it out on us. And so the Israelites didn't want anything to do with Samson. But Samson agreed. He said, look, you're not going to kill me, are you? They said, no, we're not going to kill you. We're going to take you over to the Philistines. He said, so be it. And so they take ropes and they tie his hands up. Now, it's interesting in the text uh, that it points out that it was two new ropes. So these would have been strong new ropes that the, that, that the people of Israel would have been using on Samson. Uh, obviously, they knew his strength. 
Uh, that's what makes me think that, okay, maybe that's why 3,000 people went. That's why they used two ropes. Maybe the people of Israel did know of Samson's great strength. They had heard the stories. Maybe there were more stories of Samson that aren't recorded in Scripture. Uh, obviously, there were probably lots of things he did uh, throughout his lifetime. We only have a small snippet, though, kind of some of the high points, the main things of Samson's story. So uh, they, they captured uh, Samson, they tied him up, they brought him to the Philistines. Now, when they bring him to the Philistines, then we see something uh, mentioned in the scripture that we see a few times mentioned about Samson and about other people in the scripture. It says in verse 14 that the spirit of the Lord took control of him and the ropes that were on his arms became like burnt flax and his bonds fell off his wrists. Now, the Lord had already caused all this to kind of fall into place the way it did because he's going to use Samson's power to destroy the Philistines who are oppressing the Israelites. And here we see the spirit of the Lord come upon Samson. Now this is the real, the, the real uh, 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 strength that Samson has. This is the real source of his strength. It comes from the Lord. Now, it comes from, he, he loses that strength when his hair gets cut off, but, but it's really the Lord who gave him that strength uh, to begin with. And here we see the spirit of the Lord come upon him, and, and the ropes that were on his hands, it says that they fell off. Now, it could be that maybe in his brute strength he ripped them off, but the text doesn't say that. It says they just kind of fell off, like this maybe was just a, a miraculous event that took place. And so, once he was freed, there was a donkey nearby. He grabbed the, the jawbone of the donkey, uh, probably a dead donkey it appears, and he uses that jawbone, and nothing but a jawbone, to kill 1,000 Philistines. Now you can imagine that this battle was probably pretty bloody. It's not unreasonable to think that the Philistines probably had other weapons. Uh, with a thousand of them, in the time that it would have taken uh, Samson to kill a thousand of them, as more uh, were coming in if the, if the whole thousand weren't there initially, you would think that they probably would have had some weapons, and all that Samson had was this jawbone of a donkey, and he begins to clean house. It says that he killed a thousand uh, Philistines with this jawbone. Now, when we see the, the, the phrase 1,000 there, it could be that he killed exactly 1,000, or it could be, and I believe probably more likely that this is a symbolic term, uh, meaning a lot. We see 1,000 used quite a few times in Scripture, and it's almost always uh, symbolic. And uh, so it could be that he killed one th literally 1,000 men, or it could be that he, he killed a lot of men, maybe a little less than 1,000, maybe more than 1,000. Uh, it was a lot of Philistines that came against him. And so it says in verse 17, when he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone and named the place Ramath-Lehi. Now, Samson was, was probably proud of what he had done to be able to uh, destroy all of these Philistines. And, and now he's uh, progressing on in the story, and we're uh, moving on his on the way here. In verse 18, it says, He became very thirsty and called out to the Lord. You have accomplished this great victory through your servant. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? So kind of sounds like there uh, that Samson may be a little bit of a drama queen. Oh, I've done all this work, God. Oh, you've given me the victory. And now you're going to let me die of thirst. He was worried about something to drink. So the Lord was faithful to provide for Samson at that place. He, he split open the ground in some way, shape, or form. Your translations may differ there from mine, and I'm not sure exactly how that took place, 
uh, but somehow the, the, the ground split and water was produced for Samson to be able to drink and he was revived. Now this is a pretty intense story that we see of Samson. And we see other stories like this throughout the Old Testament uh, where people do things that are kind of questionable, where people do things and we, and we kind of wonder what in the world are they, are they doing? In particular, it seems as though Samson really is struggling with anger. Seems like he has some anger issues and uh, he's unchecked. Now, in this case, God is allowing him to live in this way and do these things because God is trying to accomplish a purpose through him. But I think sometimes we see passages like these and sometimes we try to use them to justify our own actions. Because after all, we see people like Samson listed in Hebrews 11 as, as a hero of faith, someone who's, who's listed for their faithfulness. Now, we don't really see, it doesn't appear to be too much faithfulness in Samson's life, except for maybe right at the end. Now, that's not to say that at the end of our life we can't be faithful to the Lord and we can't, uh, we can't choose to follow the Lord and repent and put our faith in Jesus Christ and be saved. That's not the case at all. We can be even at the end of our life. We can put faith in the Lord. But I don't think we need to look at stories like this and justify our own actions and our own anger and our own attitude. Now, we see that, 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 that anger is, a, is, a, is an emotion that not just we have, but also that God has. Now, that's interesting for you to consider because oftentimes we think it's always sinful to be angry, but it's not. It's not always sinful to be angry because God himself was angry. We see that at the beginning of the book of Judges in Judges chapter 2, verse 20. It says the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now, that's just one of many cases that we see that God is angry with his people in the Old Testament. We make it even make the point uh, to be the same of Jesus in John chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Now, in this passage, there are some people in, in the temple, and they're, and they're selling these things in the temple that they shouldn't be telling. And when Jesus gets there and he sees what's going on, and he sees all the buying and selling takes place, it says in this passage that he makes the whip, he turns over the money, the money changers' tables, and he drives them out. And at the end of the passage, he says, look, stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Now, I don't think it's unreasonable to say there that Jesus was angry. Jesus turned over tables, but yet Jesus was sinless. God was angry with his people throughout the Old Testament, but yet God is sinless. So there is a righteous anger. There is a right anger that we can have. But we have to be careful that our anger does not lead us to sin. And that's what we got to focus on. You see, Jesus did these things and Samson did these things. But in our life, we can't use those things as justification that, well, Jesus turned over the tables, therefore I'm supposed to be angry. Well, Jesus was angry but did not sin. After all, that's exactly what the scriptures say in Ephesians 4.26. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. So it appears as though it's possible to be angry and not sin. There are probably times in life where, where we do need to be angry. Things that should anger us. But when we become angry about those things, what do they lead us to do next? That's the difference right there. If you're angry about something that maybe you should be angry about, but it doesn't lead you to sin then praise the Lord. You've done what Ephesians says. You were angry, but you did not sin. But see, here's our problem as human beings. is when we get angry, 
oftentimes it leads us to think things, to do things, to harbor feelings in our heart that shouldn't be there. Instead of being angry and still loving the person we're angry with, instead of being angry and maybe dealing with the situation that needs to be dealt with in a loving and sinless way, instead of that, we, we get angry at this situation, we get angry at this person, you probably got them in your life. People that you are angry when you see them, everything they say oh, it just drives you nuts. It just, it just makes you so angry and you just want to bite their head off. And you may snap at them, you may say things to them, you may think about them, you may see them in the grocery store and go the other way because you don't want to see them. And, you just, and, and, and if you're honest, maybe, just maybe some of you hate them. You hate them. And that's what anger does if we leave it unchecked. If we don't listen to Ephesians and we do let the sun go down on our anger, what happens is, uh, boy, we get ourselves in a lot of trouble because our anger leads us to sin. Now, in Samson's case, his, his, his attitude and his anger and his lack of, uh, of, of, of care for what the Lord called him to do uh, led him into some difficult circumstances and situations. And you may find that your anger leads you into the same thing. You may have already experienced it. Chances are, uh, if you've been living for long enough, you have. You've probably went off and said things and did things, uh, and you've been angry with somebody, and boy, it's just caused this, this, just, this hate to build up in your heart, and man, it's just a bad feeling. It, it, it makes you do things you shouldn't do, and sometimes our anger gets us into trouble. But we can't use Samson's story, and we can't use Jesus' story as justification for our anger. There are times in your life that you may be angry, and you may be angry, and it may be rightfully so that you are. But you cannot allow your anger to lead you to sin. If there's anger in your life, you need to take it to the Lord and say, God, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with this person. I'm struggling with this situation. I'm struggling with this thing. And God, I'm about to blow my lid. But help me to keep my composure. When God uh, brought the Israelites out of, out of Egypt, they turned on God and God was angry with them. He told Moses, look, I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to make you a great nation, Moses. And Moses said, look, don't do that. You delivered these people, and now you're going to destroy them? And God's anger, he, he relented in his anger. Now, not that the Israelites didn't have to suffer some consequences. They did. But God, even in his anger, he showed compassion. Even in his anger, he didn't blow his lid. And you and I need to do the same thing. There may be times where we, when something comes against us or somebody comes against us, and it brings a great anger in our life, but we've got to keep that in check. We've got to keep it in check and say, okay, God, I need you to help me to be more like you. Because look, sometimes people may be deserving of bad things. Uh, the Israelites were deserving uh, of whatever God would do to them because they were disobedient to them. There may be evil people in this world doing all kind of evil stuff to you, and they may be worthy of punishment and vengeance, but that's not your place. That's the Lord's place. You see, we see in the story of Samson that he, that he took revenge, that he took vengeance on the Philistines. But that's not what God calls you and I to do. God calls Samson to do that because he was a judge of Israel. He was to deliver the Israelites. But Samson is not the example that we are to follow. It's the example of Jesus Christ that we are to follow. And even though uh, people that do things to us and come against us and anger us, maybe they're deserving of some punishment. But let God take care of that. We don't have to take care of that. 
We don't have to harbor those feelings against those who are angry and come against us, against uh, people who, 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 who are our enemies, who hate us, or maybe they don't even hate us, but they're always just pushing our buttons. We don't have to take care of those people. Let God take care of those people. In the Old Testament, God used Samson. He used judges to take care of those people. But in the New Testament, we have something much better than judges. We have something called grace that comes through Jesus Christ. And so when we look for an example to follow, we look to the example of Jesus Christ. Now, what is the example of Jesus? Well, people were always coming against him. The scribes, the Pharisees, the, uh, the, the uh, experts in the law, all these people were always coming at Jesus. They were always trying to attack Jesus. They were always trying to, uh, to, to, to get him riled up and trap him in their different uh, questions that they were asking him. But Jesus was, he, he, he was always faithful to explain to him as best he could. Now, sometimes he had to get on to them. Sometimes he had to put them in their place. He didn't just let them walk all over him. Sometimes he called them out, and they didn't like that all the more. But if Jesus ever had reason or opportunity to take vengeance on people, it was when he was on the cross. They beat him. They mocked him. They spit on him. They put a crown of thorn on his head. And in all of that, when Jesus was nailed to a cross, Jesus told him, he said, Look, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And that's a lesson that we need to learn. Maybe one of the most important lessons that we need to learn. You see, because our anger comes in and we get angry at people, and what do we want to do? We want to take it out on them. We want to get back at them. That's what Samson wanted to do to the Philistines. That's what the Philistines wanted to do to Samson. But look, there's a better way in Jesus Christ. We don't have to fight those battles anymore because the Lord will fight those battles for us. The Lord will take care of that. If we've done wrong, the Lord's going to take care of that in our life. If others have done wrong, the Lord's going to take care of that in their life. So we leave it to the Lord. We follow the example of Jesus Christ. Maybe people have come at you. Maybe they make you angry. Maybe you want to punch them in the nose. I get it. Sometimes those things come, but we got to say, all right, God, I'm angry about this. This person's coming against me. This person hates me, but God, I want to love them. God, help me to love them. God, help me to forgive them. God, help me not to harbor up these feelings inside of them. Help me not to go to sleep with these things in my life. If you've got anger at somebody in your life right now, then do what Ephesians says. Don't let the sun set on your anger. Don't go to bed tonight being angry. Maybe it's something you've held on to for, for 15, 20, 30, 40 years. Let go of that. Let go of that. It's keeping you from walking as close to the Lord as you need to be walking. It may be keeping you from walking to the Lord altogether. Maybe you've never turned to the Lord because you've got that anger and that bitterness and that hatred in your life. But God wants to free you from that. He wants to deliver you from that. And He will if you let Him. He will if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and say, God, I'm trusting Jesus. I'm putting my faith in Him and what He has done and how He has lived. And God, help me to live like Him. That needs to be our prayer tonight. For some of you, if you've never accepted Jesus, that needs to be your prayer. You need to pray it for the first time. For some of the rest of you, maybe you are a follower of God, but you've got some grudges that you're holding and some anger that you're holding on to, and you want to take it out on them and stick it to them and destroy them just like Samson did. But what you need to do is say, God, I'm going to let that go. I'm going to give it to you. Jesus is the example we follow. We don't need to look for examples in Scripture to try to justify our anger. We need to look for examples in Scripture that help us to give more compassion, more grace, more forgiveness. Even to those people who come against us and attack us. Because you know what Jesus tells us to do? 
He tells us to love our enemies. Jesus doesn't say, all right, they did something to you, you go get them back. Jesus says, love your enemies. Love those who persecute you. What about them? All this bad stuff they do. They're just going to get away with it? No, they're not going to get away with it. Hey, best case scenario, you know what happened? And you may not want this to happen. Best case scenario, maybe they realize what they're doing and they come to Jesus Christ and they are forgiven. Praise the Lord. That's hard for us. Sometimes we don't want our enemies to be forgiven. We want them to have to experience the full wrath of God. But that's not what God wants. He wants them to be forgiven. He wants them to have eternal life. Now, if you're a child of God, you should want the same thing. And if you don't want the same thing for your enemies, then man, you really need to look at your life. You need to reflect on your own life and say, okay, God, my heart's not right. Because we, we should have a heart like God. We should desire the things that God desires. God desires for people to repent of their sin and turn to Him. And if we don't desire that for our enemies, maybe we're not God's. If we don't love our enemies, then maybe we're not being like God wants us to be. Because after all, that's what Jesus did. Those people that led him to his cross, they were his enemy. And he said, Father, forgive them. And that's the same thing that you and I must do. And if they don't turn to the Lord in this lifetime, well, then the Lord's going to take care of it. You don't have to take care of it. Because all it's going to do is it's going to weigh you down. It's going to allow anger to rage in your life. That's going to lead to sin in your life. That's going to lead you into a miserable place. And you're just going to, you're going to feel the weight of that. But Jesus wants to free you from that. And he has if you put your faith and trust in him. So let him take care of those things. We don't have to take care of it. Because God's going to take care of it. Romans chapter 12 verse 19 says... Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath. For it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. That's good stuff. We don't have to take care of all of our problems. We don't have to police the world. We don't have to bring revenge on people. What we do have to do is bring grace and mercy and compassion and forgiveness. And that's hard to do, but it's what God called us to do. It's hard to do, but it's something that Jesus isn't just saying, all right, go do this. Jesus is saying, go do this because I've done this. Jesus is saying, if you're struggling with this, then come to me and I will help you overcome it. Jesus is saying, look, if you want victory over your enemies, if you want victory over your anger, if you want victory over your sin, then come to me because I've got victory over all those things. Jesus was perfect how he lived and he gave us the perfect example. And that's the example we look to. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and we thank you for these good words. We thank you for the story of Samson and how you used him. But dear Lord, we know that there's a better way for us, and that's Jesus Christ. That you don't call us to be uh, full of vengeance and, and full of wrath, dear Lord, but you call us to, to shed your light to the world, to bring grace and mercy and forgiveness. And so God, I pray that we would be found faithful doing that. And if there's any revenge to, to, to take place, God, well, let us leave it to you. God, if there's one that's struggling today uh, with forgiving somebody, are struggling with anger, well, God, I pray that they would give that to you and trust you and seek you for help through that. Dear Lord, maybe there's somebody today that's never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If that's the case, God, I pray that today would be the day that for the first time, maybe they realize they need to put their faith in Jesus. Maybe they've been struggling with their anger and their sin and they realize it's getting them nowhere. But God, I pray today that they would stop trying to justify their sins and justify their anger, but they would confess their sins, repent, 
put their faith in Jesus Christ. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.